We've been asked to mark number 179, and certainly we're excited to do that and look forward to any time we can lift our voices together, offering praise and adoration to the God of heaven. I hope that you have your Bible still open to Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter tonight. We will come to that rather brief chapter. You'll notice it's one of the shortest chapters in the book, and yet I believe as you and I give some consideration, some thought to that chapter tonight, we'll be encouraged will in fact be motivated to consider maybe some new ideas and some new appreciations. You'll notice on the wall behind me, as has been the case throughout this series, when I first began the series, it wasn't my intent for it to have lasted this long. But I do hope that our study, our consideration, really a chapter at a time has been fruitful. Tonight's the 11th installment in this series. One more I think ought to do. It will look at chapter 12 at some short time in the future, and it will close this majestic Old Testament book. By now, as you know, one of the questions that we've wrestled with throughout this entire series is at the top of this slide. Is life worth living? Is life in this flesh worth living? On so many occasions, you and I are battered about by matters that would appear to suggest that there's at least reason to question. Perhaps the answer is no. And you and I throughout this book have noted many, in fact, if you would notice with me here tonight, Solomon is going to bring to our appreciation some matters in chapter 11 in which one more time those features are easily worth consideration. You'll notice on that slide, then, in addition to that, the introductory part takes us, and if there's a phrase I can invite you to consider with care, it is this phrase, under the sun. Twenty-nine times in twelve chapters, Solomon uses that phrase. Twenty-nine times the viewpoint as you look under the sun looks a particular way. It looks a particular thrust, and it looks as if the answer quite likely to being life worth living is no. You find the true answer and you find the real result when you look above what's under the sun. When you look toward that grand horizon beyond which there is life outside the realm and region of this sun. And so, in fact, the last two chapters in many ways will pull us to a closer and deeper appreciation of that truth. No wonder in light of that, you'll notice chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 focused on wisdom highlighting for us common appreciations and wisdom. Chapter 11 appears to be different. Wisdom by itself isn't the main thrust. But what we will find, there's a lot of wisdom in it, I admit. Without further ado, then, let's turn the slide, if you please, and begin to look in some detail at the first six verses of chapter 11. I divided this chapter, this rather short chapter, into only two sections. Verses 1 to 6 read like this. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, 
Even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether, not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now, I believe as you probably listened to me reading those passages, likely there were at least two and probably three things in it that it seems to me have been the basis of some common old-time statements that maybe you or I have heard or we've heard our parents, grandparents, or others in our community use. And I'd suggest they probably came right here out of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Let's begin in verse number 1 with some of these ideas. Could I again ask you to notice that throughout this book there has been an emphasis on an apparent monotony to life. An ongoing thing that's the same in some ways tomorrow as it was today and has been the case in days past. But in addition to that, we've noted over and again an often understanding of vanity arising in a number of places. Beyond those two, we have seen time and again Solomon, this wise and rich man, proclaiming a futility to riches. The material accumulation of riches, on so many occasions he's told us there's a great deal of futility in it. Finally, an understanding of a certainty that no matter how wise one is, you'll never be able to avoid it or evade it. It's what we call death. In many ways, those four observations throughout this book have been a rather common theme. In some ways, they will reappear at least briefly in chapters 11 and 12. I might say that though, really we'll take it up in earnest in chapter 12. Have you ever thought about growing old? I'm sure that many of us have pondered that and given some appreciation to it. May I say that you and I are going to study something interesting in the 12th chapter when we come to think about the particulars of old age. I hope that you'll be a bit excited about what that chapter holds in view for us. Verse number 1 of this chapter begins by asking you and me to ever keep in mind this truth. In life, there is an element of uncertainty. There is always an element of risk, if I may use that word. I say that, and when you and I give thought to it, I believe we appreciate and we understand that fact. It's a bit comforting to see Solomon write about it so long ago, however. Uncertainty. At any time, you and I could be faced with matters occurring at our homes, at our places of business. Isn't it a truth? The business for which you and I work could declare bankruptcy before the end of this year, and suddenly the new year will arrive and we might well be out of work. Or to say that differently, something could occur in your health or mine, totally unexpected. And that degree of uncertainty could, to some extent, be a bit troubling. I would say that the particular matter here seems to be a little different than either of them. Risk attached to life. Let's begin some of those thoughts like this. In verse number 3, reference is made to rain. Every farmer knows that he is at the consideration of the rain, isn't he? No matter how earnestly one may put out that seed at the right time and how devotedly one tills it, if the rains do not come, it just isn't going to make much. Solomon here said, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. The farmer can't control that rain. 
That is an element in his business that's outside his control. He goes on to say, If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Have you ever heard someone ask the question, If a tree falls in the forest with nobody there, does it make a sound? Isn't it interesting that that statement, at least something like it, appears here? May I ask you to note with me in verse number 3 it says, If that tree falls toward the south or toward the north, you'll notice it's going to be where it falls. Now that may seem like an obvious statement. But what Solomon is highlighting is there's an element of risk attached to the particulars of that individual's life. And given the fact that they're going to happen, the approach you and I then must take is to understand the reality of the risk and proceed in the best judgment that we can relative to the task before us. We put out a garden. A hailstorm could come in early July and wipe out the corn and the beans as well, but we didn't know the hailstorm was going to come. But we planned as best we could with what judgment we had. Solomon seems to be saying that's the wisest course of action. Not only that, could I ask you to note verses 1 and 2? Because it seems as if he adds some thoughts to them. Verse 1, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now you'll notice some things on the slide. Cast thy bread on the waters. Notice that is phrased as if it's a commandment. In other words, you do this. You cast your bread on the waters. In light of the risk, you do not let that deter you from proceeding. You make the wisest course possible. May I say that the waters appears to have a reference to seafaring expeditions in that part of the world. Don't we all appreciate that certainly in that day and time, an ocean-going vessel met many challenges, storms, winds, particulars, and those ships weren't built quite as well as those today, of course. They were made of wood and not steel, Solomon said, you still, if you're going to be in business, you've got to transact business. Cast your bread on the waters. Did you notice promise? It will return to you after many days. Notice there's an assurance then that in the final analysis, things will work out for the betterment. I would say that that old saying maybe you and I have heard seems to have a ringing element based on verse number 1. Maybe you've heard the older generation, or maybe you or I have said it. The chickens do come home to roost. Doesn't it sound a lot like verse 1? Cast your bread on the waters, you'll find it after many days. What you sow, you will reap. Things do come home in the sense and in the essence of what we see, even in a verse like this one. When we add all of that to verse number 2, look at this piece of wisdom. As I get ready to make statements about it, could I point out, there are individuals, financial planners if you please, individuals who are paid a great deal of money to perhaps wisely give advice relative to how to maintain financial security, how to maintain financial integrity so that even in the downturn of an economy, you'd be able to maintain things in a good order. Most of the time, the advice that they are willing to share is exactly the advice of verse number 2. 
Give a portion to seven, and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. The closest analogy I can think of to that is a statement pretty common to all of us. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You and I have heard it so many times. You invest everything in one particular plan or one business. If that business goes belly up, you've lost everything. But if you diversify your portfolio, a phrase they like to use, give a portion to seven. That is to say, multiply invest your matters in such a way that you'll notice, thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Notice again that advice that perhaps we have all heard so often seemingly comes straight out of the Word of God. Now, as Solomon made those statements, it brings us to the close of that slide and motivates us to consider the next one. Verse number 4. He that, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. When the time comes, of course, to take care of matters on the farm in particular, I suppose all of us have at least some passing interest in what does the weatherman say. Solomon here brings to observation that if you only base your appreciation on when there's a perfectly clear forecast in every regard, there are few and far between times you'll ever make any headway because you'll always be holding off until what looks like a better weather situation. Solomon says again, if you observe the wind, you're not going to sow. And if you regard the clouds, you're not going to reap. You're always waiting for a better day. Notice the wisdom in that we can't always wait for what appears to be the absolute ideal circumstances. There comes a time that you've got to, whether it be business or otherwise, proceed under the best judgment that you can, trusting that things will work out for the betterment. Cast thy bread upon the waters, and they'll return to thee not many days hence. Now, these just practical points in wisdom are found right here in the Word of God, aren't they? Verse number 5 asks us to appreciate a thought on that slide. One more time could I say that in all of these matters, be it business or otherwise, that degree of risk quite often comes with our ignorance. We just don't know everything that we wish we knew, be that related to the weather or in some cases, be that very much different than that. Look at the way Solomon couches that in verse 5. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit. It begins with the word as. In the very same way you do not know the way of the wind, he says, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. We understand, do we not, that it is God that's in control of all the features even related to the economy, the weather, and everything else. And although we do not know what He knows, we must again, with judgment, approach a circumstance under the best circumstances and the best decisions that we can make. Always understanding we are never going to know things, everything that we might wish we did. The way of the wind. You and I appreciate the wind by and large is invisible unless it's got pollutants or other things in it that make it somewhat visible, we can't see it. 
we can feel it on our skin, but what about the details and the mechanism of where it came from and what's motivating it to go to a new location? Oh, it's true that it, from an earth science standpoint, we can talk about pressure differences and pressure gradients and things like that. But in the final analysis, Solomon reminds us here, we don't know every particle's motion in the atmosphere of earth, and we never will know it. Notice what else. How about how a baby grows in the womb of its mother? Now, you and I have so often been fascinated by pregnancy and the thought of this child, baby boy or girl, that comes into the world with its eyes and its ears and its hands and its feet. What about the features at the basic biological level? How did the cells divide in such a way to make all those parts in exactly the right place and in exactly the right time? The heart developed when it needed to, but that was different than when the feet did. And that's different than when the liver did. And somehow everything was orchestrated, not only in the aspect of perfection to bring about that body. You and I perhaps do not have a clue about the underlying features in both biology and physics that could be used to explain it. Despite that fact, we relish in the thought of the joy of a pregnancy and we relish at the thought of that beautiful life that comes forward. Solomon uses all of that in verse number 6 and says, In the morning sow thy seed. Under your right judgment don't let the weather deter you. And in the evening withhold not thine hand. If there's work to do, fertilizing or otherwise, do it. Don't allow yourself to be deterred by a lack of knowledge or by a certain element in uncertainty. Verse 6, For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they shall be alike good. Solomon says there are times things are going to work out in such a way that it's not going to be as good as you would have wanted. Circumstances may develop in that uncertainty. Don't let yourself become paranoid about it. Don't let yourself sit back and do nothing under the claim, well, I just don't know. We've got to act, and we've got to live. That's why I entitled this Living Life. That's one of the things that we strive to not only ourselves appreciate, but instill in our children. Proceed through life making the best judgments in light of the wisdom God has given us. Understanding there are times it won't work out the way you wanted, but there will be many other times when it will work out so wonderfully under the providence of God. Beginning in verse number 7, we come to some other attributes. I might suggest as we transition to them, I chose to close this slide in the following way. God, of course, does know all these things, and that's why our trust and our faith in Him must be secure. Amazingly enough, you'll notice in verses like Job 13, 15, Job was an example of this. He didn't see all those tragedies coming his way, and yet as he was faced with them, he often was challenged to maintain a proper attitude and a proper perspective. He did say this in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. His trust did not waver. 
He didn't understand about the illness and the sickness and the difficulties he had faced, but he apparently knew that with God on his side, he would persevere. To that, might we add Proverbs 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, though that piece of wisdom is as vital and as needed today as it ever was. One last thing on that slide. Solomon's focus here reminds us that even with regard to these physical matters, we need to utilize our judgment. We can't just sit back and do nothing and claim that that's pleasing to God. Isn't it true? The one-talent man tried it in Matthew 25. You remember he took the one-talent and hid it, and when the time of reckoning came, it was the master who said, Thou knowest I was an austere man. Thou knewest that I gathered where I hadn't sowed. You should at least have given it to the, to the bankers and others so that I could have received mine own with some interest. Therefore, you and I need to live life understanding there's uncertainty and there's risk, but we're going to live it under the faith and confidence in God. In verses 7 and 8, we read about darkness. I hope you and I will think for the next moment or two about darkness. Using the appreciation of this pair of verses at least, verses 7 and 8 read like this. Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Now you'll notice on that slide, you may appreciate some passing observations. First of all, May you and I never lose sight of the beauty of simple things. Verse number 7, Solomon says, Light is a sweet thing. Every morning when you and I are blessed to arise, may we appreciate that sunshine. May we appreciate the blessing of light and we have eyes to behold it. There are individuals that are blind and there are others who are in positions in life they cannot appreciate it and enjoy it. Truly the light is sweet. That's an interesting way to describe light, isn't it? Typically we think about things we taste as being possibly sweet, and yet light, Solomon says, is sweet. In addition to that, it's a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun. But now this warning, warning related to darkness, and you perhaps can already gain the feeling that the primary thrust of his discussion of darkness is not on literal absence of light, but rather it's on those times in life of challenge and difficulty. Those times that, quite frankly, are hard. If a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. Solomon here teaches us that some of the greatest teaching moments of our life will be at those times when things aren't going as well as we'd like. We have to learn to adapt. There we have to rely on our faith. Didn't Paul make that statement? Three times I prayed for my thorn in the flesh to be removed. Three times I earnestly prayed in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and following. 
Jesus' answer was this, No, I won't remove it, but my grace is sufficient for thee. It was in those very moments when Paul, relying upon the Lord, would appreciate a strength that was not his own. It was a strength that came through Jesus Christ. Sometimes today you and I are in that position, that predicament. Those days of darkness, he says, don't forget them. Now, you may not want to go through them again, but the lessons you learn from them, the value you appreciated in them, don't ever lose those lessons. Don't ever lose sight of what it was you learned in those moments of challenge. Because isn't it true? Verse number 8 says, They shall be many. May we never forget. Even if we live to be an old age, there are going to be a lot of days of challenge and darkness. A lot of days of shed tears, a lot of days of oppressions and hardship. Solomon said so. You'd ought never think anything differently. Don't you again consider that that's one of those elements of uncertainty. We don't always know when those days are coming. We've got to have a faith strong enough to withstand no matter when they come. And so on to verses 9 and following we go. May I suggest that I listed, at least in passing, a number of moments from Solomon's life. Now remember, Solomon's the one writing this. Did he enjoy, did he suffer any days of darkness? We know he did. I've chosen to list just a few of them. Just to make it somewhat complete, I listed a few elements of light and a few elements of darkness. Don't you suppose it was a moment of brightness in his life? When he prayed unto God, when God said, Ask anything that you want and I'll give it to you in 1 Kings 3, verses 5 and following. God answered that prayer and made him the wisest man on earth. That had to be a bright point. And that wisdom was so great that from far and wide they came. I listed the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings 10. Here was a dignitary from a foreign land who came a far distance just to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. That would have been impressive. And so it was. Beyond that, what about that beauty of that wisdom he used, at least in his early days of reigning, to lead Israel the way that it ought to have gone? Again, what an impressive thing. But to look at the other side of that coin, were there any days of darkness in Solomon's life? We know that answer to be yes. Could I call our, to our attention the scene in 1 Kings 12? Here was, the, here was the people of Israel. They had lived in unison with God for 120 years. And it was under the foolishness of Solomon that that kingdom ultimately was led to split. That certainly had to be a very dark reality upon his legacy. It was under his foolishness that that ultimately caused at least a difficulty attached to that point. Or look at another one. What about the darkness attached to the rather poor choices he made in terms of the women he married? As we're about to see in chapter 12 on our next lesson, those darknesses really hurt Solomon. He had made those choices and obviously once he'd entered those marriages, you couldn't just get out of them. And what he did was, they turned his heart away from God. That turned his heart away from where it needed to be.
perhaps saying all that, we notice those days of darkness prepare us for the last two verses of the chapter. I would say that as we develop those thoughts and move toward them, these issues, these matters are certainly interesting. I chose to ask you to note this. Solomon also knew, and so too do you and I, that some of that darkness is attached to the way others treat us. Isn't it true that some of the strongest feelings of hurt that you and I may have is when someone who we thought we could trust, someone who we thought we could appreciate as understanding us would turn their back upon us? Well, in this case, again, Solomon seemingly knew that well. Could I ask you to appreciate in the New Testament several pieces of wisdom for you and me? Did Paul know about this? Oh, didn't he ever. Here he was in a Roman prison, needing some of those individuals whom he had taught the gospel and who had been great servants with him to God in years gone by. And now they rejected him. Now they had no interest in the things of God. Demas has forsaken me. Notice what that suggests. There had been a time Demas was assisting Paul. Now he's left me in prison, and I'm about to die. There's some things I need, Timothy. May I suggest that as you give thought to that closing few verses in 2 Timothy 4, it is a reminder what days of darkness Paul felt and how it hurt him that there were these others who turned against God the way that they did. As you and I close that slide, let's perhaps say this. I would ask you to appreciate that. Verses 9 and 10, I have chosen to use those in light of the opening statements of the next chapter. It again seems to me that the chapter division is not a very happy one. In fact, they will tie directly to the first two verses of chapter 12. And I would think it wiser if you and I, rather than starting those two and then stopping, let's just cover all of them at the next occasion. As we do that, we're going to see some lessons for the youth, some lessons for those of us that are older, some lessons even as we enter the twilight years of elderliness. All of it's going to come to bear in chapter 12. But the main lesson will be clear enough. I hope tonight as we have studied these things at least, we can conclude our lesson like this. We've learned in these verses of chapter 11, there's some uncertainty. There is an element of risk, if you please, attached to the ongoing reality of life. And Solomon says you've got to live life nonetheless. Even if you don't know it all, and even if there were pieces of wisdom you wish you had. Cast thy bread upon the waters. Engage in the transacting business of your life and do so with the best judgment available to you. We've seen applications to that in the following way. An element of, of endurance. An element of promise. An element of reliance on the providence of God. And an element of understanding that though days of darkness will come, and though they often will bring senses of vanity, it's still the truth that there's a God in heaven and light is sweet. 
and appreciate those good things and the blessings that surround us so often. Chapter 12, as we take it up next time, is going to close this book, and it'll do so in a majestic way. I hope we've each been reminded, we've each been encouraged, we've each been motivated to think about this wisdom etched in the pages of the Word of God centuries ago. As Solomon has written these things, these slogans and these other things we've studied tonight are valuable because they're inspired. Certainly the greatest wisdom of all is to live in harmony with the will of God so that upon our demise, upon our leaving this place, heaven can be our home. You know, that's what success is all about, isn't it? Tonight, if there's anybody in this audience who is separated from God, you at one time were faithful, you knew about life in the church, and you knew about the blessing and the reward that it offered, and for whatever reason, slowly and gradually, you just grew away from it. But now you realize that was not only a mistake, it was a sin. And it was an eternally damning one. And you would like to rush back to the faithful side of the one who died for you. Don't you know He would love to have you back? He has never given up on you, you know. He wants you right back in faithfulness. And He wants you, in fact, you to be stamped with that image in your forehead so that you will enter the golden gates of glory forevermore. Revelation chapter 7 and 8. Tonight, if we could pray to God on your behalf, that upon your confession and your repentance, He's promised to forgive you. If you've never become a Christian, tonight would be the night. Tonight, this very night, you could in fact enter the baptismal waters and rise, a new creature in Christ. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. As you do that, notice you have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you'll live, but not, Christ, but not you, but Christ will live in you. Galatians 2, 20. And as you do... You could be that bright and shining light, a beacon to draw many others to the truth of the gospel. This evening, if we could be of assistance, if we could be of help, we would enjoy doing that. Just let us know the way we can and do so now while together we stand and while we sing.